Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you can make better financial decisions in your life. That mission doesn't stop with this podcast. Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are here to serve you each and every day, night, weekday, weekend. We are here to empower you with knowledge and information to take control of your life. Clark Deals to get better deals on things. And it's funny how much it's part of my buying decisions now when I'm looking to buy something is I'm on Clark Deals looking to see what deal there is. And the Clark Deals team works so hard. The Clark team works so hard. And know this, you will only ever read something on Clark.com or ClarkDeals.com because we believe we are giving you the best information and best advice out there. We are unbought and unbossed. No one buys any content on our websites at all which has become a big problem in the web world with what's called sponsored content. You're even seeing it now in traditional newspapers where you'll be reading one online and you don't realize something you're clicking on is an advertisement written in the form of an article. So be very aware of that and wary about what content you're actually getting somewhere Is it content you can truly trust, or are you looking at propaganda at an ad? We get offers every single day. I get emails from people wanting to asking for our rates for sponsored articles. And it's so cool to be able to say, We don't have to do that. (laughs) And they're like, You don't what? We don't do that. I'll tell you something that can't happen to you anymore. And that's something I teased you about in September. And that was, in spite of various court actions that went into effect, one of the rare bipartisan triumphs in the United States took place, and that is no more bill shock when you go to the emergency room, and I want to explain how it plays, how it works. And I've talked about the labor shortage at length. There's a lot of new data out what has caused the labor shortage, and what we've got to do as a country to solve it. So over the years, it's been such a frustrating odyssey for me when someone has to go to a hospital emergency room and they go to the one that's on their insurance, if they have insurance. They go to the one, you know, they're supposed to go to this network of hospitals or that one or the other one, whatever. And then after They've been treated at the hospital. They then get a massive bill that could be enough to bankrupt them that's from various cogs in the wheel, specialists, whatever, that say, oh, we don't take that insurance. So we're billing you the cost of a used car for having seen you. Now, if we'd been in your plan, it would have been $38, but now it's going to be 7000 
or whatever. That is no longer legal, and it's because of a bill that was one of those things that, against all odds, against all the lobbying power of the doctors, the hospitals, the insurers, we were like, this was a David versus multiple Goliaths. The Congress and the president, it was during uh, President Trump's time, they passed this. It's now in effect. And what it does is behind the curtain, the various players that are not in your insurance plan, but the facility you went to was in your insurance plan, they have to do a behind-the-scenes negotiation with each other. You and I are out of it. You pay what you're required to pay under your insurance. That is it. And this is fantastic. And it's just one of the things we've got to deal with with the problems with medical billing. But this one's a good, important step because depending on who you believe, somewhere between one in three and one in four people who've gone to an emergency room in the plan they're in end up getting hit with this bill shock with these massive bills. And, uh, you know, our place is going to comply or doctor's going to comply, we'll see. But it is the law of the land, and it has real teeth to it. And I hope that I don't start having posts that we're dealing with on the show from people who say, hey, I went to the place with my plan, and I still got a bill shock. Hopefully, that won't happen. But the first step starts with you, and that is that you go only to an emergency room that's on your plan. And remember that in 22, one of the things that's true with a lot of company-provided health insurance is they've raised what you have to pay as your portion if you go to a hospital emergency room in some plans as high as the sky and then made other places almost free to go to to try to keep you out of a hospital emergency room. If you have something that is a true hospital-type emergency, yes, go there. But otherwise, look at urgent care centers or other dock-in-a-box or nurse-in-a-box facilities for after-hours and weekend care rather than going to the hospital emergency room. We've got some questions, and one is related. Anne in Virginia says, how do I negotiate a cash settlement for a hospital bill? So, Anne, I don't know exactly what your circumstance is, if this is the remainder after insurance or if you were a cash payer. But you now can go online and see what the hospital would have charged for what you were there for if you had various insurances. And hospitals tend to play a dirty game, especially with people that are uninsured, where you were billed at a price that is typically 10 to 20 times what someone is charged who has a major insurance plan. And then they expect you to pay the whole thing at 10 to 20 times what they would have billed an insurance company. So you now can look online and see whatever you were in the hospital for, and I'm glad you're here to talk about it because that means you had a good medical outcome. You can see what they would have charged someone with, let's say, Aetna or Humana or U.S. Health or whatever, what they would have charged for that care 
to someone with that insurance. And that's what you try to negotiate, that the amount you pay is equivalent to what a big insurance company would have paid. Because the fiction of the bills that hospitals bill individuals without insurance is a really bad story and is unconscionable. This is from Richard in North Carolina. I reserved a rental car with a major company and was quoted a weekly rate of $345. I picked up the car directly at the parking lot and signed no additional paperwork. When I got back and received my bill in the mail, it was for $580. The company charged me for liability insurance supplements, which I never, neither wanted nor authorized. Multiple calls and emails to the company were to no avail, so I disputed the extra amount with my credit card company. After reviewing my documentation, they agreed with me and said the dispute was resolved in my favor. I thought the matter was over at this point, but the rental car company kept billing me and eventually banned me from renting from them and turned the bill over to a bill collector who is now hounding me for payment. I don't care about getting banned, but I'm concerned that the outstanding bill will hurt my credit rating and I don't want bill collectors bugging me. What more can I do? This is a hard problem and there have been multiple reports, especially I don't know what car rental company you rented from, but multiple reports of abuses by Hertz, the company that went bankrupt, has now reorganized and is doing quite well. Uh, some of the stories involving Hertz have been beyond outrageous where they've messed up internally and reported renters as having stolen cars and had uh, them arrested. All these crazy, crazy, over-the-top stories. And in your case, you need to, in writing, by certified mail, notify the collection agency that you dispute the validity of the debt. And once you've done that, it puts you on a different plane than if you're just talking to them because what you have to do is go back to the core of it and say that the debt itself is not valid. Now, another strategy that people have employed over the years with, depending on the jurisdiction, some success, complete success, or no success at all, and you're going to be surprised by that, is that you sue the car rental company in small claims court. And you sue them simply over this money. And what will typically happen at that point is you move out of the car rental company's administrative process to the general counsel, who then is going to have to hire a lawyer to come defend the company in small claims court. And that will be typically the most effective way for you to clear your name. You'll have to pay an amount of money to file against the car rental company. You're going to have to find out who their registered agent is in your state, which you typically do with the Secretary of State of that state or equivalent agency. You find out who the registered agent is, and you are going to serve that individual. And how crazy you'd have to go through all this over a $230 false charge from a car rental agency, but they can ruin your credit for seven years. 
This is from Jenny in Texas. In the past, I've used Credit Karma Tax to complete my taxes. I do have a concern over it changing to Cash App Tax. I do not currently have a Cash App account and I'm not interested in using it, but does it make sense to make an account with them in order to use the tax software or is it better to use a different tax software this year? I know we talked about this before the end of the year, but now that everybody's thinking about it. I've been noodling this one for a while, Jenny, and trying to figure out what advice to give to you and others who've been especially curious. And the true answer is, I don't know. We have no experience with how Cash App is going to behave doing the tax returns for people. And so you are a pioneer, a bit of a guinea pig. It's like you're starting all over with a new company. You know, uh, people are policy. You change the owner of who owns the tax service and who knows how Cash App is going to behave. So I am very nervous recommending, as I did in the past, all in. I recommended Credit Karma Tax. I'm very nervous making that same recommendation with Cash App Tax because it's going to take a while to know, do they run it clean? Do they behave themselves How do they handle mistakes they make and the rest? And we never had complaints about Credit Karma tax. And when it first started, I said, well, you know, you're the guinea pig. And it's like that's all over again. So you have to make a decision how much you're willing to be a tester, if you will, or if you just want to go pay to prepare your taxes using other software. And by the way, it's not too early for me to say since I took my first tax prep question that most taxpayers qualify for free tax software through the IRS portal at irs.gov that will post late in January. And of course, I'll let you know when that happens. And almost nobody knows that most taxpayers are eligible to file their taxes for free anyway. So labor shortage, we experience it in so many ways every day. Recently, air travelers have experienced that feeding into COVID, feeding into weather, leading to thousands upon thousands of canceled flights. Uh, We're well past 10,000 canceled flights. Industry after industry affected by labor shortage. How are we going to solve it? What caused the big labor shortage in the first place? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
when I think about all the labor shortages and the numbers, just so you know, are typically based on what's called labor force participation, which is the percent of people of key working age population that are working. Uh, We were, before the pandemic, you go back two years ago right now, we had roughly 63.5% of people of key working population that were working. Today, 61.8 is the most recent stat put out by the feds. So 63.5 to 61.8. That represents millions of people. That's a lot of people involved who suddenly aren't working. And who are they? Two-thirds of them are older workers who left the workforce entirely for several different reasons. One reason, early in the pandemic, employers, I mean, it's not a secret, employers age discriminate, and the first people they cut typically were older workers. Got rid of the older workers, and they were like, oh, well. Then you have people who thought, you know what? I think I got enough to get by. They got rid of me. I'm not going to go back to work. And then there are people that are older who may have had pre-existing medical conditions or whatever. They were worried about dying and decided not to go back to work because of COVID. And then sadly, most of the deaths we've had from COVID have been older people. So a lot of what's happened is not what a lot of people have said that I thought was always the typical knock every generation forever. I mean, I, I don't know. This probably goes back to the Stone Age. Young people just don't have a desire to work anymore. <laughs> I mean, really. There may occasionally be somebody who decided, hey, this is a great vacation. I'm just not going to work. Who's young? But the numbers don't bear that out is the reasons we're having the big labor shortages. So first, you start with people that are older. And depending on how economists have categorized this, they've done it 50 and up, 55 and up, 65 and up, whatever. Overwhelmingly, the people who have voluntarily left the workforce or involuntarily left the workforce are people that are older. The second biggest group, parents of younger children and mostly moms with younger children have either been forced to stay home with the kids because no schools were open at first or they have younger preschool kids and childcare has been hard to come up with and they've made a decision as a couple to have one of them stay at home with the kids And that was the other factor really pulling people out of the labor force. I mean, if I were an employer looking for workers, based on just the simple raw numbers, I would concentrate on older workers because that's where the largest number, you go where the numbers are. By far the largest number of people that are not participating in the workforce now who were prior to two years ago, are people that are in their 50s or 60s. That's where people vanished from work. And so there are any of a number of ways to attract 
people back, particularly, let's say, somebody who's, if you don't do direct customer contact in your business, people that are older, maybe they work remotely, and you're able to attract people back who've decided not to work because they've been concerned about their health, or whatever the strategy is to fill unfilled positions, the greatest potential payoff is going to come from attracting older workers. And this is so against the DNA of corporate America that for generations has so heavily discriminated against older workers. And it doesn't matter what the laws are, the companies discriminate against older workers. But right now with the labor shortage trap that so many employers are facing, the greatest possibility is to attract those older workers back. Is for schools not being in person drives me crazy because the kids need to be with other kids. So from the socialization process, they need to be in the classroom. And then second, from the academic standpoint, kids don't typically learn nearly as well on Zoom school as they do in person. All right, let's get to some questions. This is from Peggy in Georgia. What is an economic way to purchase carpet for our 20-year-old home? We don't want to spend as much as most stores are charging for average-grade carpet. Well, Peggy, a key thing is you're in Georgia, which is the carpet capital of the world, and you can actually go, as many people who come down the I-75 corridor from the Midwest on their way to Florida, they know to stop at the outlets in northwest Georgia, near Dalton or Calhoun, Georgia, and buy carpet at big discounts. And the key to saving money is to be willing to buy irregular runs of carpet or carpet remnants. Got to make sure you have solid measurements for the rooms that you need to carpet, and you end up paying a tiny fraction of the cost for the carpet when you buy a remnant, an end of run or beginning of run of carpet. Let me explain that. What happens is when they're doing a long manufacturing run of carpet, the very beginning of the production run and the very end of the production run will not color match to the samples that are handed out in furniture and flooring stores. So they have to sell off the beginning run and the end of the run as discount remnants and you're able to get it much cheaper. And then irregulars, generally there will be something wrong in the stitching for part of it. I have bought a lot of irregular carpet over the years. I'm sure that's a big shock. (laughs) But the savings, even when you add in the additional shipping cost of buying it from one of the outlets, it's still going to be much, much cheaper, more hassle, but much cheaper than going to a traditional place to buy carpet in your community. This is from Don in North Carolina. My wife and I are getting close to retirement and weighing our options on nest egg consolidation. Our question is about choosing wisely on moving a sizable 401k either into a pre-existing IRA at our credit union or making a bigger and bolder move of rolling into a new IRA at a bank. 
We've shied away from banks for so many years, mostly because of their high fees. A close family member who once worked for this bank recommends them heavily based on having enough saved to qualify for more personalized services. Should we go with the bank who has more resources to help manage our nest egg and estate? So, Don... And I've given you the name of the bank. Doesn't even matter in this case. Okay. You don't want to do your investing at a bank. Bank fees are so, so high on investing products. Many, many by factors uh, that are huge, so much more expensive to have manage an IRA for you than to do so at one of the discount investment houses. I mean, when you look at having your money in an IRA at Vanguard, Schwab, or Fidelity, you may be spending one-twentieth the cost in various expenses that you would have at the bank. And the banks just aren't good at this. They are not good money managers. It's not what they do. That's why the amount of money in banks versus other sources, typically investment houses, it now is like, I think, under 10% because nobody who has been in investing for a while would ever think to put investing money at a bank. The other thing is you don't necessarily need to move the money from your 401k into an IRA. If the 401k is with a very big employer, they may have such low expenses on the plan that you may actually want to leave the money in that plan rather than move it. But with the big three, Fidelity, Schwab, and Vanguard, all three offer investment advice if you want it at very low costs. And it's a far better option and choice than going to a bank or a credit union. You mentioned a credit union as well with money that you're going to live on in retirement. This is from Brett in Kentucky. I'm in the market for a new riding mower. I thought winter would be a good time to get a deal on a new mower, but I've found almost none in stock and no winter deals. What's the best time of year to get a deal on one? Well, you're just not going to be able to cut your grass (laughs) till next fall because the real deals on lawnmowers tend to kick off around Labor Day every year because the retailers want to clear out that inventory. They don't want it sitting where they're having to cover the cost of that inventory. They don't want to give up the warehouse space, stockroom space, or floor space to lawn equipment. So the deals are all found in the fall. Um, There will be sales on lawn equipment that will come up, depending on the part of the country, beginning of March, beginning of April, Where in the country are you? Kentucky. Kentucky. So for you, it's going to be a March sale on lawnmowers, but the sales will not be nearly as good as the clearance sales that take place in the fall of each year. So if you got a lawnmower that's getting the job done for you, you just would like a new one, get through one more summer season with that one, and then you get your new riding mower once you hit fall of this year. Almost said next year. I'm having to remember in my mind. It's a new year. We flipped to 22. Have you written any checks yet? Yes. And I almost made the mistake of not writing the two. Because we write so few checks now. And I actually had to write a paper check. I've written one so far this year. And 
I purposefully remembered to write the two instead of the one. Well, I want to thank you so much for being a part of our team. Remember, you can reach out to us for one-on-one advice. It's something we've been doing now for 29 years where you can get free one-on-one advice Monday through Friday from the Team Clark Consumer Action Center. You can reach someone at 636-49-CLARK. You see all the details and all the hours, all the information you need to know for free one-on-one advice if you go to clark.com slash C-A-C. 